Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome back to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens. I'm your host, Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 57. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Nephi chapter 16 through 22 today under the theme, I will prepare the way before you. Now, before we get into the material this week, just really quick, last week saw the launch of my paid access for my study and, and teaching guides as well as the transcripts. Uh, subscription opportunity as well to be able to gain monthly access or yearly access to those things. And I just want to make sure that all that has gone smoothly for you. I, I know usually at the beginning of these kinds of things, there are little hiccups and things to work through. If you've had any issues at all, please don't hesitate to reach out to me and let me know. Also, I would welcome any feedback that you have. Now, that being said, let's jump into the background of this week's study which I'm super excited about. Again, these are jam-packed chapters. There is so much. We're just going to scratch the surface with it this week. But uh, the background is as follows. As Lehi's family journeyed toward the promised land, the Lord made them this promise, that I will prepare the way before you, if it so be that you shall keep my commandments. Clearly, that promise did not mean that the journey would be easy, family members still disagreed, bows broke, people struggled and died. And they still had to build a ship from raw materials. However, when the family faced adversity or tasks that seemed impossible, Nephi recognized that the Lord was never far away. He knew that God doth nourish the faithful and strengthen them and provide means whereby they can accomplish the thing which he has commanded them. I wonder how much of his initial experience in obtaining the brass plates served him throughout the rest of this journey. It continues that if you ever wondered why bad things happen to good people like Nephi and his family, you may find insights in these chapters, but perhaps more important, you will see what good people do when bad things happen. Now, I love this intro. Instead of asking why bad things happen to good people, which is so easy and natural to do, let's instead try to look for what good people do when bad things happen. We can't forget that the journey between the world, once we've left it, and the promised land takes place in the wilderness, a place that is hard, a place that's difficult, a place that's exhausting at times, and a place that sometimes is very painful. But the Lord, as we follow him and keep his commandments, will strengthen us, will nourish us, guide us, and direct our paths until we have safely landed on the shores of our promised land. That's the beauty of of this story and the message that's in it. In a favorite quote of mine from uh, President Elder Henry B. Irene in a BYU devotional, he taught that the Lord is anxious to lead us to the safety of higher ground, away from the path of physical and spiritual danger. And his upward path will require us to climb. He said, my mother used to say to me when I complained that things were hard, if you are on the right path, it will always be uphill. (laughs) Sounds like a great mother to me. And as the world becomes darker and more dangerous, we must keep climbing. It will be our choice whether or not to move up or to stay where we are. But the Lord will invite and guide us upward by the direction of the Holy Ghost. I love that statement from President Irene. And I also think one of the things that you might also see and that I think is important for us to see 
in what we'll be studying this week is that it's possible to be climbing without ever really having left the point that we started from. And that's kind of a scary thing to consider and to contemplate. And you're going to see that a little bit later as we get into things. But we need to remember that this journey of ours between the world and the promised land takes place in the wilderness. When the Lord challenges us to take up our cross and follow Him, He is reminding us that the the way ahead will be hard, and the burdens that we'll be asked to carry at times will be heavy. But He also reminds us that when we are yoked to Him and with Him, that He will be there every step of the way. Now, for the the few key principles we want to take a look at this week, first of all, principle number one, we're going to title the most fertile parts of the wilderness. I love the story and the metaphor behind the Liahona. Lehi basically walks out of his tent one morning and finds sitting there at his tent door a ball of curious workmanship, which he said had been prepared for them to guide them in their journey in the wilderness. In my mind, I've envisioned multiple times of what that must have been like. And how cool that must have been to have found. And the truth is, we have many things like that at our feet that we can use, like the Liahona, that have been prepared to lead and guide us in our journey as well. As you read this particular story at the beginning, and all the things that happen throughout their journey, in terms of when they follow it and when they don't, I would invite you to think of those things that we've been given. Maybe none more so important than the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have the Word of God in scriptures and living prophets. We even have our patriarchal blessings. We have parents, we have family members, friends, leaders, and neighbors, all of which can act as a guiding influence, a liahona in our lives as well. But there's one aspect of the liahona that I don't think most of us fully understand or grasp in its meaning and application in our own lives that I want you to consider today because of its importance and its significance. We know how important it was for this family to follow the liahona. It was everything. Well, there's an aspect of following it that can be crucial to helping us make the right choices and decisions in the way that we're going that I want to begin to look at today. And starting in 1 Nephi chapter 16, verse 10, it's recorded about the Liahona, And it came to pass that as my father rose in the morning and went forth to the tent door, to his great astonishment he beheld upon the ground a round ball of curious workmanship, and it was of fine brass. And then make note of this. And within the ball were two spindles, and the one pointed the way whither we should go in the wilderness. And usually at that point, I just kept going and just understood that the Liahona was going to point them in the direction they needed to go. But I never really bothered to ask, then what was the purpose of the other spindle? It says that there were two spindles on the ball. Well, over the years, I've heard prophets refer to that second spindle as a way to verify that the first spindle was pointing in the correct direction. You remember at times that this family mentioned that they didn't know where to go. Well, if the one spindle was pointing the way to go, you'd just always follow that, wouldn't you? Unless there was a second spindle to verify it, that at times didn't work. That would be confusing and would cause them to stop in the progress of their journey. As important as that first spindle was, I think that second spindle might have been even more important to verify the correctness of the way that the first was pointing. 
they couldn't, they wouldn't move forward without that second spindle's confirming alignment with the first one. It's kind of based on the Lord's law of witnesses, where he says, In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall the truth of everything be established. He does that over and over and over with everything, and he did it with the Liahona. Now, let me give you an example of how this principle might work in life, especially for you young people. I want you to listen up for this one because this will save you a lot of heartache in your life if you can understand it and begin to apply it right away. I remember back when I was your age, there was a point in time that I was so excited because it was my time to buy my first car. I couldn't wait for the freedom that would come along with it and of course how cool I thought that I would look in it. My life was about to change forever by the purchase of this car. And it was a huge decision because, I mean, it would be a reflection of who I was, right? My friends would ride in it. Uh, It would be the first thing that I thought girls would notice about me. I mean, as a teenager, this wasn't a decision to make or to take lightly. And so I looked and I looked and I looked and I finally settled on a shiny red Mazda MX-5 Miata. (laughs) Go look that car up now. You'll have a laugh when you see it. But back then, it was awesome. Uh, It was fast. It was sleek. It was beautiful. And I found one at a used car lot. And the price was decent, one that I could afford. And I was absolutely sure in that moment that this was the car that was meant for me. This was my destiny to have this car even. Now, this being the first car that I was going to purchase, I made sure to include my father in the process, mostly to help me kind of know what to do because I just had never done this before. But once I found the car that I wanted, I also wanted his opinion as well because I trusted him because I knew how much he loved and knew about cars. He had bought several over the years in his own life and he'd taken immaculate care of them. And so I trusted his opinion. Although I have to admit that once I saw this car, to be honest, I was ready to buy it with or without his approval. Yet I thought it would still be nice to have it. So we went together to go look at it. I remember as we got there, we checked out the exterior, which I loved. We checked out the interior, which I also loved. And then we took it on a test drive, which I also loved. And by the end of it, I was more sure than ever that this was going to be my car. Yet after the test drive, my father got out and popped the hood and spent some time looking at the engine. And I was watching carefully at his reaction, looking for him, wanting him to be as excited for me as I was for me. But then that hood came down and I didn't see what I was hoping to see on his face. And he said, you know, son, this car certainly looks great on the outside, but I got to tell you, from the way it drove and what I see on the inside or under the hood, I wouldn't buy this car. Oh man, I was devastated. How could he not be in alignment with what I was so sure was right and the right decision? We left there and suddenly my simple decision became a lot more complicated. Thanks a lot, Dad. (laughs) Now, before I tell you about how the story ended, what I decided, I want to give you the principle behind it. Remember that in order to move in the right direction for Lehi and his family, those two spindles on the Liahona needed to be in alignment. Well, I have come to learn that when we want to travel in the right direction and to make the right choices in life, we would do well to follow this principle and make sure those things that God has given us to point us in the way that we are to go 
are in alignment with each other and with us. And young people, I promise you that if you will follow that principle in your life, you will have a much better chance to make decisions correctly and to travel in the right direction. I think it's good to look at yourself always as the first spindle. You And only you have responsibility for yourself and for your own choices. You're the one that has to make them. So you are that first spindle, the first pointer. So then the question becomes, how do you know if you're heading in the right direction or that you're likely to make the, the, a decision correctly? Well, that's where you have to learn to look to the other spindles and pointers in your life. Try to see if, the, if you're in alignment together with them. If you're not, well, I would be very careful and cautious about moving forward. Young people, you have several great pointers in your life, uh, second spindles, if you will. One is called parents. Trust them. Seek out their advice and counsel. Whenever you're facing a tough decision, really at any stage of your life, not just when you're young, you might also have siblings and close friends that you can trust as well. Include them in those critical moments of decision. Other pointers that we can use in our lives include, of course, the scriptures and the principles and truths taught there. Religious leaders can be a great uh, source of counsel. Again, close friends, neighbors, even asking Google at times can help. But maybe the most important second spindle that we have is God. When Christ left this earth, he promised to send us a second comforter, almost a second spindle, his spirit to help remind and guide us in life. We can always seek confirmation that we are in alignment with what God would have us to do and therefore make decisions correctly. Jesus taught that how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth and that he will show you things to come. A young people, again, I can promise from experience that the more these pointers are aligned in your life and aligned in regards to the counsel and advice towards an important decision that you have to make, the better the chance that you will make that decision right. Sometimes it might take a little trust and even adjust what we think is best. I'm sure there'll be times in your life, like in mine, when I was about to purchase my first car and so certain that something was right for me, yet only to find other pointers in my life were telling me it was not. One of my favorite sports is football. And football, as a lot of sports are, can in many ways be a microcosm for life. You and I are in many ways the quarterback on the field calling the plays. We're in the heat of the battle, in the middle of the action, trying to make the right decisions that will win the game. However, the quarterback isn't alone, doesn't have to make those decisions alone. There is a coach on the sidelines that is watching everything from a perspective and a place of experience that the quarterback doesn't have. And on top of that, the quarterback typically has a headset in his helmet connecting him to other coaches way up in the stands, in the skyboxes, who see the entire field of play. They can best see what the defense is doing, where the openings are, and what plays to call that have the best chance of success. And the quarterback, if he is smart, relies on all of these pointers to make sure that he makes the right calls during the game. He trusts that at times they may see something that he can't. He relies on the principle of the second spindle. Does that make sense? Fortunately for me back then, 
I chose to listen to that second spindle. As hard as it was giving up that car, I listened to my father. I trusted him that he could see some things that I couldn't. And it wasn't easy because, I mean, I wanted that car. But I decided to be patient and wait until things were more in alignment with my decision. And eventually, I decided with the strong approval of my father, I might add, on a little white Toyota Celica that became the hallmark of my teenage years. One of the best cars that I've ever owned. In fact, I don't remember ever having any issues with it. It became filled with wonderful memories from those years. You can just ask any of my friends. They know and love and remember that car. Now, this principle doesn't mean that you can't and shouldn't make any decisions on your own. And sometimes you might need to make a decision without the approval of parents or other people. But you should never make a decision without the approval and being in alignment with God. And the more spindles that you have in alignment with your decision, the more likely that you will be making that decision correctly. The brethren of the church follow this principle themselves. They don't make a decision for the entire church until every one of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, every one of them, is in alignment with that decision. And sometimes that takes a while and a lot of debate and counseling together, but eventually they always get there. There is great safety in following that principle in our own journey through life. In fact, I'll bet even now you can see the results already of following or not following that principle in your own life, even though that journey of yours is just beginning. Now to end with, I want you to look at the promise that we have when we follow this principle and the liahonas that God has given us in our own life especially as we strive to keep his commandments. In one of my most favorite verses about the Liahona, a very simple verse, verse 16 of chapter 16, Nephi records, and we did follow the directions of the ball, and I'd have you mark this phrase, which led us in the more fertile parts of the wilderness. In other words, we are assured that by keeping God's commandments, following the Spirit, our personal Liahona, and the other Liahonas that we've been given, and the principle of the two spindles, that we will also be led to the most fertile or best parts of life. Keep in mind, we're still in the wilderness, but we are assured that we will experience the best parts of it as we follow God in the ways that He has prepared for us to follow Him. In a great quote and statement uh, from Elder Richard G. Scott in a talk titled, Finding Joy in Life, he said, The Lord is intent on your personal growth and development. That progress is accelerated when you willingly allow Him to lead you through every growth experience you encounter, whether initially it be to your individual liking or not. When you trust in the Lord, when you are willing to let your heart and your mind be centered in His will, when you ask to be led by the Spirit to do His will, you are assured of the greatest happiness along the way and the most fulfilling attainment from this mortal experience or the more fertile parts of the wilderness. Now some questions for you to consider in this principle is number one, are there any situations currently in your life that you can apply this principle of the second spindle to to help you to make a decision? What are some of the best spindles in your life that have helped point you in the right direction already? What are some decisions in your life that you have made right? And can you identify any spindles that were in alignment with that decision? What are some of the decisions that you know that you made wrong? 
And can you identify any spindles that were not in alignment in your life with that decision? How has the Spirit been a guiding influence in your life? How have you felt the Holy Ghost guide you into the most fertile parts of life? Another great question to consider is how can your patriarchal blessing be a guide and even a second spindle to you? I think it's of great value to take our decisions at times to our patriarchal blessing to make sure that they are in alignment with it. It's a wonderful liahona and second spindle to have in our life. Another question, as hard as it is, young people, why is it helpful and important for you to counsel with your parents when making decisions? And finally, what can or will you do to invite the Lord to be more a part of your decision-making process? Now for the second principle today, do you remember how we were given the challenge at the beginning to instead of looking for why bad things happen to good people, to instead try to look for what good people do when bad things happen? Well, we see a great example of this in Nephi and of course in contrast to Laman and Lemuel. They have both been through a lot. They left their homes and all their possessions. I can only imagine how uncomfortable traveling in the wilderness must have been for them. The suffering in the heat, the sand, the lack of water and food, giving birth by the women, raising young children, having bows break and suffering even more hunger. For eight long years, they journeyed in the wilderness. We let that sink in for just a minute. We can pretty much finish reading about their journey in 80 minutes. They lived it for eight years. Now, look for the contrast in the way Nephi saw the journey and Laman and Lemuel did, despite them experiencing the same hardships together. For this, we're going to compare and contrast 1 Nephi chapter 17 verses 2 through 5 with 1 Nephi chapter 17 verses 19 through 21. At this point, they had just arrived in the land of Bountiful on the seashore and had a period of rest, of peace and reflection, just before the Lord tells Nephi, it's time to build a ship. But during this period, Nephi gives us his perspective of the journey so far. In 1 Nephi chapter 17, verse 2, he writes, And so great were the blessings of the Lord upon us, that while we did live upon raw meat in the wilderness, our women did give plenty of suck for their children. And they were strong, yea, even like unto the men. And they began to bear their journeys without murmurings. And thus we see that the commandments of God must be fulfilled. And if it so be that the children of men keep the commandments of God, he doth nourish them and strengthen them and provide means whereby they can accomplish the thing which he has commanded them. Wherefore he did provide means for us while we did sojourn in the wilderness. And we did sojourn for the space of many years, yea, even eight years in the wilderness. And we did come to the land which we called Bountiful because of its much fruit and also wild honey. And all these things were prepared of the Lord that we might not perish. And we beheld the sea which we called Ariantum, which being interpreted is many waters. Again, how good is God? How long must this place, the land of Bountiful, been prepared before Lehi and his family got there? It takes trees quite a while to grow. As one of the great blessings that Nephi saw, he recognized that this place, these things, were prepared of the Lord for them, that they might not perish. Can you see what Nephi sees? Yes, the journey was hard, but my goodness, how we have been blessed of the Lord in it. 
He's been there every step of the way. My faith is stronger, my commitment to him greater, my love for him deeper because I could see him with us. Well, after Nephi had been commanded to build the ship and began to to be discouraged when his brothers started to doubt him and withhold their labor from him and tease him, his brothers began to rejoice, in fact, in his failures and say that they knew that he couldn't build a ship. And the following is recorded about what they said and their perspective of this journey so far. Listen to their perspective of what they've been through and how different their perspective is to Nephi's. In verse 19, it's recorded, And now it came to pass that I, Nephi, was exceedingly sorrowful because of the hardness of their hearts. And now when they saw that I began to be sorrowful, they were glad in their hearts, insomuch that they did rejoice over me, saying, We knew that ye could not construct a ship, for we knew that ye were lacking in judgment. Wherefore thou canst not accomplish so great a work. And thou art like unto our father, led away by the foolish imaginations of his heart, Yea, he hath led us out of the land of Jerusalem, and we have wandered in the wilderness for these many years, and our women have toiled, being big with child. And they have borne children in the wilderness, and suffered all things, save it were death. And it would have been better that they had died before they came out of Jerusalem than to have suffered these afflictions. Behold, these many years we have suffered in the wilderness, which time we might have enjoyed our possessions and the land of our inheritance. Yea, we might have been happy. (laughs) Can you hear the difference in that perspective? Laman and Lemuel might have been on this journey, but in reality, they never really left Jerusalem. They never really let go of the world they were being called out of and from. And so by looking backwards, they missed seeing God who was in front of them, leading, directing, and blessing their path. Elder Scott, in that same talk titled Finding Joy in Life, brings up another issue that Laman and Lemuel had along with looking backwards. Speaking of problems and trials, he said, A pebble held close to the eye appears to be a gigantic obstacle. Cast on the ground, it is seen in perspective. Likewise, problems or trials in our lives need to be viewed in the perspective of scriptural doctrine. Otherwise, they can easily overtake our vision, absorb our energy, and deprive us of the joy and beauty the Lord intends for us to receive here on earth. I think that was a big part of Laman and Lemuel's problem, is that they focused so much on their problems that that's all they saw, which again caused them to miss the blessings that the Lord had been providing them with. The principle and lesson for you and I is to try to develop the spiritual eyes to see the good that we're being blessed with in spite of the bad, to see the help that we've been given when going through something hard, to see the blessings that have come to us while struggling, to see the strengthening that we've been given in spite of the exhaustion and the nourishment that we're receiving when there's very little to eat, to see the comfort that we're being given when we're uncomfortable, or simply to see God in the wilderness. If we're not careful, we will miss him and can easily complain and murmur in those things that we suffer as well. These blessings that he gives us are not always easily seen or recognized. In fact, in another very similar story that starts out in the Bible with the children of Israel journeying in the wilderness for 40 years, the Lord pointed out something to them that they missed in terms of seeing him in the wilderness and in their journey. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5, it's recorded that the Lord said, And I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, 
and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. In other words, his hand is even in things like how long our clothes and shoes last. Now I want you to think about that. How many blessings like that have we missed? As I think about that, you know where my mind goes? To my washing machine. I can't tell you how long this machine has just lasted. It just continues to run year after year after year. I'm amazed every time that I use it, that it's still working. <laughs> or my car that is just about to push 200,000 miles with very little problems. I think there are so many blessings like that that go unrecognized, where the Lord is with us, helping to make our journey just a little bit easier. So how do we develop the eyes to see God in the journey? It begins, I believe, with gratitude and looking for things every day that we are grateful for. President Irene, in a talk titled Remember, Remember, told of a wonderful practice that he does daily to help him to see God in his journey. He said, when our children were very small, I started to write down a few things about what happened every day. And let me tell you, he said, how that got started. I came home late from a church assignment. It was after dark. My father-in-law, who lived near us, surprised me as I walked toward the foot of the door of my house. He was carrying a load of pipes over his shoulder, walking very fast and dressed in his work clothes. I knew that he had been building a system to pump water from a stream below us up to our property. He smiled, spoke softly, and then rushed past me into the darkness to go on with his work. I took a few steps toward the house, thinking of what he was doing for us, and just as I got to the door, I heard in my mind, not in my own voice, these words, I'm not giving you these experiences for yourself. Write them down. I went inside. I didn't go to bed. Although I was tired, I took out some paper and began to write. And as I did, I understood the message that I had heard in my mind. I was supposed to record for my children to read, someday in the future, how I had seen the hand of God blessing our family. Grandpa didn't have to do what he was doing for us. He could have had someone else do it, or not have done it at all. But he was serving us, his family, in the way covenant disciples of Jesus Christ always do. I knew that was true, and so I wrote it down so that my children could have the memory someday when they would need it. He said, I wrote down a few lines every day for years. I never missed a day, no matter how tired I was or how early I would have had to start the next day. Before I would write, he said, I would ponder this question. Have I seen the hand of God reaching out to touch us or our children or our family today? As I kept at it, something began to happen. As I would cast my mind over the day, I would see evidence of what God had done for one of us that I had not recognized in the busy moments of the day. As that happened, and it happened often, I realized that trying to remember had allowed God to show me what He had done. More than gratitude began to grow in my heart. Testimony grew. I became ever more certain that our Heavenly Father hears and answers prayers. I felt more gratitude for the softening and refining that come because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I grew more confident that the Holy Ghost can bring all things to our remembrance, even things that we did not notice or pay attention to when they happened. This practice is what helped President Irene develop eyes very similar to those of Nephi. Young people, I would challenge you to take five minutes is all at the end of each and every day to do the same thing, to write down maybe three things that you are thankful for and to just ask yourself the question, how have you seen God's hand in your life today? That practice 
I promise, will change your perspective and it will change your life. And you will become more and more like Nephi in the way that you see your life and the way that you see your journey. Now, a couple of key questions for you to consider with this principle. Number one, up to this point, how have you seen the difficult experiences of your life so far? Would you see that they've been more like a pebble held up close to your eyes or down on the ground in perspective? How easy has it been to complain and murmur about them and maybe even at God because of them? Can you see any good in them? What are some of the blessings that you can see that have come from God as you've gone through these hard things? Another simple yet great question to consider is, is where do you think happiness comes from? How easy is it to fall into the trap like Laman and Lemuel thinking that happiness is tied to comfort and to our possessions? Why is it so hard to leave the world and the cares of the world behind? And can you say that you are working to develop eyes of gratitude like those Nephi has and better seeing God's hand in your own life even in your difficult moments? And if not, what can you do to better develop the eyes of gratitude for your life and for those experiences that you have that are hard? Now, the third principle I want to focus on today is about the building of the boat, Nephi's ship. This next principle is very important and sometimes a difficult one to master. And it is seen clearly, though, in the building of the ship and the process that Nephi goes through in building it. But also, it can be seen in the breaking of Nephi's bow and many other aspects of this family's journey. But looking at it through the context and eyes of the building of the ship, in 1 Nephi chapter 17, verse 8, it's recorded, And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto me, saying, Thou shalt construct a ship after the manner which I shall show thee, that I may carry thy people across these waters. Now the question that I want you to consider, and consider it well, is had Nephi ever built a ship? No, he had not. Did he have any idea at all how to do it? No, he did not. Did he have plenty of reason to doubt himself and his ability to do it? Yes, he certainly did. But he moved forward anyway. Did you get the message in that? Young people, there will be many times in your life where you will feel like Nephi here. Times where you won't know how to do something. Or times where you will feel unsure of yourself and unsure of how to accomplish something that you've been asked to do. Maybe it will be something like serving a mission and not feeling equal to the task or good enough to the, the task ahead. Maybe it will be raising a family one day and providing for them. Maybe it will be building something that you have no idea how to build or doing something you have no idea how to do or becoming something that you doubt you could ever be. I want you to watch for the pattern that the Lord gives us through this story so that you know what to do when those moments come. First, I want you to look at what Nephi does in such a difficult and overwhelming situation. In verse 9, Nephi writes, And I said, Lord, whither shall I go that I may find ore? to molten, that I may make tools to construct the ship after the manner which thou hast shown me. And it came to pass that the Lord told me whither I should go to find ore, that I might make tools. In other words, I have no idea how to build this ship, (laughs) but I do know how to make tools. I've done that before. I can do that. I have no idea how to get food for my family. I even have a broken bow. But what I do know how to do and believe that I can do is make a new bow. I can do that. I have no idea how to get to this promised land I'm supposed to go to. 
I have no idea the direction I'm supposed to go or anything, but I do know how to pack everything up for a journey and begin to take those first steps. The principle here is a principle of self-reliance. The Lord will walk a very fine line perfectly with us, allowing us to do what we can while he does what we can't. You see that? Nephi does what he can by making tools and making a new bow and just starting this journey or taking a step to get the brass plates when he has no idea how it's going to happen. And the Lord takes it from there. There is a reason why before he raises Lazarus from the dead that the Lord has those that are there remove the stone to the tomb themselves. Now, he easily could have. I mean, he's about to bring someone back to life, back from the dead. How hard would it have been to just wave his hand and have the stone move? But instead, he tells them to remove the stone themselves. They do what they can, and he does what they can't. I believe a part of the reason for this is that in the action that we take to do what we can, we act on faith that God will meet us and do what we can't. Do you see that? He may have parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel the first time, but he waited until they stepped into the River Jordan before he parted that the next time. He wants us to learn to both trust him and ourselves to walk by faith. Sometimes in order to call down the powers of heaven, God waits until we take those first few steps and do whatever it is that we can. Young people, you may not know how to build a career and provide for a family one day, but you know what? You can get out there and start looking for jobs. Go to interviews, go to school, and start taking those first steps towards that end, trusting that God will open the doors for you that you can't and provide a way. You may not know how to be a successful missionary or doubt your ability to be a missionary, but you know how to read the scriptures, to start meeting with your bishop and filling out the papers to just serve, trusting that as you do what you can, he will take care of the rest. You may not know how to deal with a particular trial that comes in your life, but I am certain that there is always something that you can do, even if it's just getting on your knees and praying for his help. This is so often, I think, where so many of us get stuck. We get stuck in inaction because we want things to be done for us. We want things to be a little bit easier than what they are. We're afraid to fail. We're afraid that God won't show up there for us. And so we don't even take the first steps doing whatever it is that we can. But that's his promise to us. And again, you can see it all throughout this journey. You do what you can, and I will meet you there and do what you can't. That is where faith is found, developed, and rewarded and turned to knowledge. Now, the last principle that is related to this is that, yes, help will come. We can trust in that. We can have an assurance in that. But I think it's important to recognize that that help might not come all at once or certainly as quickly as what you and I want. In fact, I'm pretty sure it won't. I would imagine that after Nephi had finished making the tools that he would have loved for the Lord to have just given him an entire blueprint for the building of the ship. I'm sure he would have loved to see the end and how it was going to turn out before he even started building it. But that's not the Lord's program. That's not walking by faith. In chapter 18, verse 1, I want you to mark this verse as well. Nephi records that the Lord did show me from time to time after what manner 
I should work the timbers of the ship. In other words, he gave me here a little and there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is how the Lord works and how we learn to walk by faith instead of by sight, doing what we can and trusting that in the end it will all come together beautifully. Now, I can't think of a more perfect metaphor for building our lives, building ourselves, building our families, building anything, and all that we hope that they can and will be in the end, than the building of Nephi ship. Personally, I don't know how my life will get to where I really want it to fully be. But I know how to work. I know how to get up each day and do my best. I know how to strive to keep God's commandments. I know how to repent when needed. And I know how to get up and do it all again the next day trusting that one day I will look back at what I have become and what's been built in me and in my life and recognize that the workmanship, like with Nephi's boat, wasn't built after the manner of men or in the way that I maybe thought that it would be, yet the workmanship thereof is exceedingly fine. And I know that I will be humbled at how good God is in building not just the ship, but in building our lives and in building us. Remember, if you do what you can, he will do what you can't. President Gordon B. Hinckley once taught in a talk titled, We Walk by Faith, that the challenge which faces every member of this church is to take the next step, to accept that responsibility to which he is called, even though he does not feel equal to it, and to do so in faith with the full expectation that the Lord will light the way before him. We are a people of faith. We walk by faith. We move on our eternal journey one step at a time. A couple key questions for you to consider in this principle is number one, how can you apply this principle in your life currently? I know there is something that you are building, that you are working towards, that you have doubts about, that you are worried about. How can you apply this principle in your situation currently? What things are you stressed out about and worried about or afraid of? And how can you stop worrying about the end result and just focus on doing what you can and trusting that the Lord will take care of what you can't? Why is it so hard to still act in faith without seeing the end from the beginning? What are you trying to build in your life that is like Nephi's ship? How is it helpful to know that the Lord may not show you how to do something all at once, but instead will show you from time to time? And how will this help you to learn to walk by faith instead of by sight in your own life? Boy, so many great principles this week. I hope those three were helpful to you. And there's so many more in here for you to discover. I feel bad that we couldn't get to them all. There's just so many more that I would have loved to have gone through. I will tell you this, that there will be a few bonus ones in this week's study and teaching guide. You won't want to miss it. Remember that you can purchase it in the show notes or sign up for a small monthly subscription at a discount that will give you access to all the study and teaching guides and transcripts of these podcast episodes. And if you have found this podcast to be helpful, would you please share it with somebody that you know this week that you think could benefit from it? And if you haven't left me a review yet, I would invite you to please do so. Those reviews really help push the podcast up the charts, making it easier to find and more accessible to others. I know that many of you have found this podcast on accident, looking for simply resources to help our young people. 
And so thank you for being here. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, and joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way. He is the full truth. He is the abundant life. Of that, I personally testify to each and every one of you. And he invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow him better this week. What do you say? And become better as we follow him. Till next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.